Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this bright and wonderful, cheerful Thursday morning. You know, this is a great day. Sun's up. We're up. And we're going to talk about cooperative today. This is Everything Cooperative. And NCBA, National Cooperative Business Association, is celebrating their 100th year. They've been, they started in 1916. And today we're going to talk uh, about Cooperation Jackson, Cooperation Jackson in Jackson, Mississippi. Kali Akunu, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? Uh, other than losing my voice slightly, I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Well, it's Thank come across really good. So <laughs> when you lose your voice slightly, it still sounds extremely wonderfully well. So you blessed, all bro. Right. <laughs> all right. Can you tell us what Cooperation Jackson is? Cooperation Jackson uh, is an emerging cooperative uh, federation and uh, supporting institutions based in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, we are close to our second uh, anniversary, so a relatively young organization and network. Uh, however, uh, the thinking uh, that went into Cooperation Jackson and the preliminary planning spans well over uh, a decade. Uh, so we are uh, in the middle of uh, a number of transformative projects uh, in West Jackson that range from uh, developing a community land trust, uh, where we already uh, are landowners of over 20 lots and looking to expand that. And that is the core of what we're calling a sustainable communities initiative, uh, where we're looking to construct an eco-village uh, that is kind of a, a work-live space, uh, where there are urban farms, where there's grocery stores, uh, and other kind of supporting cooperative enterprises. Um, then we're also... In, in the process of developing kind of a, uh, a co whole cohort of other cooperative enterprises uh, in and around the city to serve some vital uh, functions and needs, uh, particularly towards helping the city become uh, more sustainable, uh, the largest of which is a recycling and composting cooperative, which is going through uh, some, some preliminary motions and preliminary operations as we speak. Uh, to kind of begin that that whole transformative uh, process. Uh, but we also have a number of other kind of related projects. Uh, one is uh, an emerging uh, a partnership for an organizing uh, institute with some of the, uh, the labor unions uh, in our city and state. Uh, and the other piece is uh, more of a collaborative piece with uh, uh, the city council, uh, which is the construction of a human rights charter for the city of Jackson. Uh, which we hope to have uh, uh, benefit uh, this transformative process around building solidarity economy in, in Jackson, Mississippi. So our plate is full. I can uh, tell you. You're, full. Yes, I can see that. And, and you've said a whole lot of where you are today and what you're looking for. But can we 
can we go back a minute? Was Jackson, Mississippi, the, the site for the uh, movie The Help? Uh, it was, yes, there was where a part of it was right. That's right. I you know I almost forgot about that, but that that is a a core site of where that history was located. And what I've been doing a lot on the program now is since we are celebrating NCBA's hundredth year, was like, what was Jackson like in nineteen sixteen and nineteen sixty, and then bring it up to the day, because I have visited Jackson and Tougaloo Colleges. I think it's right. It's next to. It's not in the city of Jackson, but it's close by. It's in the city of Jackson. It is in the city. Okay. Yeah, it is in the city of Jackson in, in a very odd way, because it's you know Jackson is is one of these uh, municipalities that actually exist in three counties, and Tougaloo is part of Madison County, but I would say about ninety percent of of Jackson is actually in Hines County, so it got incorporated in a very uh, weird way. And for your audience. Uh, Tougaloo University is the HBCU, a historically black uh, college and university, and it's one of two uh, which exists within Jackson City Limits, the other being uh, Jackson State University, which is uh, substantially larger. But Tougaloo is a very kind of important uh, historical moner- uh, a moniker in our city, uh, and a lot of uh, uh, critical leadership over the years has come out of Tougaloo, and it's also been a site of, uh, speaking of kind of the, the uh, anniversaries, um, uh, the March Against Fear that uh, James Meredith uh, initiated, and uh, which which became kind of worldwide known for the enunciation of Black Power uh, from Kwame Ture, better known to many as from Stokely Carmichael, that happened in the course of that march in 1966, in June 1966. That a lot of the central events that happened it happened at Tuvalu uh, College. So, but to, but to go back to part of your Keeps going back to 1960. You know, Jackson was a radically different place than what it is now. It was uh, a predominantly white in 1960. Uh, I think at that point, my memory serves me correctly, uh, the demographics were that Jackson uh, was slightly larger than it is now, over 200,000 people. But it was predominantly white, I think, to the tune of roughly about 70% white in 1960. And uh, the, the demographics have totally flipped in reverse. Uh, over the course of those uh, 50 years to, to now, the city is 80% black, roughly about, uh, I would say, 17 to 18% white and uh, 2% other. Uh, so the demographics have radically shifted. Uh, the economy from one era to another has shifted significantly. You know, Mississippi overall uh, is still uh, uh, very dependent upon agriculture. Uh, that so much hasn't changed, but Jackson did have much more of a manufacturing base in 1960 than it does now. Mm. There's still some in, in industry and manufacturing base here. Uh, although it was never substantial, it was much more than it is now. Um, so there were, there were more blue-collar employment. Uh, Jackson has always been, and it still remains from 1960 to now, a, a major kind of transportation and freight uh, hub. Uh, and to give folks kind of a, a sense of, where and how Jackson is strategically kind of uh, situated within the U.S. Uh, uh, economy and the southern regional economy, uh, it's at the crossroads, really, of kind of two major uh, highway flows. And, and even before that, uh, a connector between the Mississippi uh, River uh, traffic flow, which comes down to Mississippi primarily, agricultural products, wheat and corn. Uh, so we're about, 50, about 30 miles from the river. So we do act in some sense, there's a port for the Mississippi River. 
but then there was the, the the rail infrastructure, which got built, you know, in the later half of uh, the the 19th century, that made a lot of crisscrossing stops uh, in Jackson, and so the soup, the highways kind of got built as an overlay of the uh, the old rail infrastructure. So we are, you know, a, a stop on the, the I-20, uh, Interstate I-20, and a stop on the Interstate 55. And the I-20 is its major kind of function and purpose is to connect uh, Atlanta to the Jack to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So we're one of the stops kind of on that trucking route and that transportation route. And the 55 is really a connector uh, from uh, New Orleans to Chicago. So we're, we're a stop on, on that route, you know, just kind of looking at that T intersection. And so there's a lot of infrastructure uh, built in Jackson that is around that, uh, that accommodates uh, the, the, the transfer of goods and services uh, from those different routes and all other routes in between. And a lot of our economy then and now is still somewhat built uh, around that. Uh, but I think one of the major, uh, you know, major transitions other than the demographic uh, transition, which is pretty significant, uh, the median income is significantly uh, dropped. Uh, as a whole, the city is much poorer now than it was uh, on a, on average, and uh, the citizenry is much poorer now than it was in 1960. And the, the economy outside of what I described is also shifting. You know, the major shift now is that from, from more kind of industrial or labor jobs largest employer in, in uh, the city of Jackson now uh, is primarily in the medical industry. And the second largest being government and the third largest being uh, the university system. So uh, it's very dependent in, in many respects on what we call kind of anchor institutions, things that aren't going uh, anywhere uh, soon, but things that don't have kind of great multiplier effects in and of themselves. So that is something that, that cooperates in Jackson. Uh, it's really looking at to, to where do we add value and where can we be uh, transformative to kind of strengthen both kind of the manufacturing uh, sector of the uh, of the economy here uh, in the long term uh, and to do so uh, in a manner w- which we're bringing in and developing uh, more green tech and next uh, uh, generation technology kind of enterprises to the to the city and the region uh, to improve the overall uh, wages and quality of life of our community. Sir, you say a lot. I'd like to try to break some of this down so that our readers can get it. Kylie, I was looking at the map here. 55 goes from New Orleans through Jackson to Memphis, St. Louis, and then Chicago. So it, it covers mm-hmm. a lot of territory. And you got Charlotte, mm-hmm. Atlanta, Jackson, Shreveport, Dallas on 20. I mean, it's, yeah, so I can see I never thought about Jackson that way as being at sort of that hub where the T crosses. And so you get a lot of traffic. But I'm really concerned about this median family income. You say 70 percent white in 1960 and 80 percent black in 2016. That's 56 years. Uh, what caused that trend? Why, why did the white leave flight and blacks came in and the median family income went down? Well, you know, that's a simple and a complex uh, question. I mean, the the main reason for the shift I would, would would have to say was just uh kind of blatant racism. Um, you know, Mississippi was one of the last states and in many respects is still fighting uh some sectors of it, some populations in Mississippi are still fighting a war against uh, desegregation. Uh many sectors are still 
uh, still fighting the Civil War, uh, uh, in fact, uh, very openly and, and uh, very uh, viscerally here in Mississippi. Uh, that is still true. Uh, but I think the major thing has to be, had to be, you know, once once those major struggles against segregation and the, the, the victory uh, that the civil rights and the black liberation movement had in the 1950s, 60s, and on into the 70s, once those uh, transitions started to have kind of more material impact, what you had in Jackson, Mississippi, was a very rapid uh, and very haphazard white flight. And it still has a major impact on both uh, uh, the economy and the politics uh, of the city and the state overall. Uh, so Jackson was one of the late kind of transition uh, cities where white flight took place. Uh, that it really didn't start until the 1970s. But once it got going, it was kind of a, an immediate freight. So the transition from being, you know, majority white to majority black really happened within about a 20-year period. And then there was a lot of haphazard construction of kind of satellite suburban, white suburban communities to primarily to the east of uh, Jackson. So you have uh, places like Ridgeland, Flowood, uh, Pearl. These are municipalities which are all border on Jackson Kali, uh, we, and Byron to the south. Kali, we're going to have to take a break on this white flight, okay. and we'll be back and talk about that and, and how the blacks came in and median family income went down. We are going to take our first break. If anybody out there has a question of Kali or myself, you can call in 1-800-450-7876. We're talking about history. We're going to go back to what's happening now and then looking toward the future. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. 1450 WOL. Information is power. That's that's WOL's motto, and that's mine, too. I only add... With information, and National Cooperative Bank is providing you information through this show to talk to you about cooperatives, how you can come together, form co-ops, or look out to find a co-op to join. And with the information, if you put some action to it, then that's when you get the power. And right now we're getting a lot of information from Cooperation Jackson. Kali has just given us so much information, and we'll keep going. You were talking about white flights, white leaving the city of Jackson, going out into the suburbs taking their jobs and their money with them, blacks coming in, and then the median family income going down. So they didn't leave the area. They didn't leave the state. They just went around to the suburbs, from what you were telling Well, it was a combination of both. I mean, many people did leave uh, the state, uh, and that's still uh, a major issue, particularly for young, uh, talent, black and white, uh, in the state of Mississippi. There's still a lot of out-migration that does occur. Uh, but in the main, uh, folks didn't leave. They just kind of uh, moved further out uh, into these suburbs that they kind of hastily constructed. And you're right, did take a lot of the capital and the businesses with them. And that's a pattern which continues to uh, exist, uh, where most of the retail and commercial services uh, that exist within the metro region uh, actually exist outside of the city of Jackson. And uh, it it. it you know, by any kind of economic analysis or index that you look at, if you look at uh, uh, the, the suburbs, none of them have uh, the population density uh, to justify the, the types of uh, commercial investment uh, that has been built there. And then they're, they're really dependent upon a customer base from Jackson, which supports the, those enterprises. So you're talking about your big box stores, uh, your supermarkets, uh, your entertainment uh, uh, complexes. 
you know, those are all uh, those are all surviving those suburbs uh, from Jackson patronage, and the choking off of those in the development of those enterprises in the city of Jackson. So this is a, a long struggle uh, that is going on, which is it's kind of now at a fever pitch. We can get into a little bit later, but yeah, this this the flight basically you know started the trickle in, in the 1960s and kind of grew to a flood in the 1970s uh, uh, and 80s. And what you had in in uh, uh, corresponding also at that time with the medium uh, uh, family income uh, dropping uh, is that you had uh, primarily a, a phase when agriculture became more and more mechanized uh, in the state and or redundant, meaning that it, it was completely, certain aspects were completely shut down as more cotton was shifted to be produced in say California or, or elsewhere. And you kind of got into this dynamic, uh, I think, beginning in the 1970s, uh, wherein uh, uh, the federal government was actually paying a lot of farmers to underproduce or not produce or to shift their production away from cotton and corn and uh, beans and things of that nature uh, towards trees, to where now trees are the largest, tree shepherding and, and, and uh, husbandry is the largest agricultural product in the state of Mississippi. So that was a major shift, but what that did was displace a lot of folks who were working uh, in in the farmland in the eastern part of the state, particularly in the Delta, uh, as they were forced out due to mechanization and, and the transfer of enterprise. Uh, they fled to places like Jackson, uh, but they came with very few to none to no resources uh, with them, uh, very little by way of uh, uh, education, given the the very uh, um, segregated and, and uh, underfunded and, and, and uh, quality of education that many people were receiving. Uh, so they came to Jackson right when they had the job were leaving. Uh, there were less resources to, to kind of help facilitate uh, a transition to new education. And so people were kind of left with uh, uh, the crumbs of what was left in the city. And that's the dynamic that we're still working and struggling against uh, uh, to the present day. So in Jackson, Jackson being the state capital of Mississippi, you said it's medical, government, and university. Those are the three main hiring people. They, they're the, uh, and manufacturing has basically left. Um, so when blacks came, whites leave, blacks come in, there's just no jobs. There are very few jobs. So the median family income goes down. Yeah, very few jobs. You know, very few jobs. And a lot of the jobs that say that, that might remain, you know, those, if you look at those three, you know, the, all three of those, the vast majority of those jobs and the higher paying end of jobs in, in the medical uh, field, uh, in the government's field, in the field of, uh, you know, uh, uh, college education, uh, all of those require, for the, for the most part, some type of advanced degree. And, you know, it's very hard for folks who have little resources uh, to save enough often for their, for their kids to be able to uh, afford to go to college. And then since the, the 1980s, I think, as we all know, uh, uh, federal funding for colleges is, is kind of drastically uh, decreased at yeah. the same time. It's been reduced at the same time while tuition uh, prices have uh, really started to skyrocket since the 1990s. Uh, so you kind of have all these adverse effects which kind of perpetuate certain uh, uh, dynamics of impoverishment uh, Kali, of communities like Jackson. Kali, we have a caller on. Hassan, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Great. What's your uh, statement or question? Uh, here's my question, and wanted to say hello to your guests, too. Um, a couple questions, or three questions. One, um, what is the transportation industry like in Jackson Forest, trucking and 
delivery, courier services, are, are those services needed? And also, um, are there any black banks or anything of that nature in Jackson where the people can put their money in? Uh, and also, um, can you give us a list or website to go to for co-ops? Because I know a lot of people actually have been thinking about relocating to Jackson. But again, you know, you're just trying to figure out the, the different nuances of what's going on. So if you can kind of give me some information on uh, those three, and I'll take it off the air. Hassan, thank you very much. All right. Kali. All right. So the first uh, the first piece of our transportation, transportation is the fourth uh, largest employer in the city. But the, the main thing is that those are business, those are truckers who are mainly independent these days uh, that come in and just use Jackson as a pit stop. Uh, the operations are not primarily based here, meaning that their their uh, uh, garages and things of that nature are not primarily based in Jackson. But there are a good number of services that tend to uh, kind of their need in terms of gas and and uh, auto repair and things of that nature. And then they they pick up certain freight from uh, industrial sites that that remain in Jackson. Uh, but the vast bulk of those are actually to our east in those county in those cities and municipalities that are that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. So Jackson is really kind of a, a, a throwaway stop. But it is one of those areas that we have identified that we want to, uh, this is being cooperation Jackson, uh, we want to uh, uh, do some development around uh, the city so that we can uh, both capture more of that economy uh, and, and uh, have more say in the actual flow of goods and services and, and use that uh, to kind of extend and build up the tax base in Jackson. So we're thinking about it. Uh, uh, in a major way and trying to figure out a strategy uh, of how to go about pursuing uh, uh, development in that particular uh, industry. Kali, are uh, there, in terms of, before you go to the second one, um, are there any black-owned truckers? Do any blacks own their own trucks and do the transportation? Oh, yeah. There, there's a good number. Of, there's a good deal of that. There is a good deal of that. There's a significant number of black-owned truckers who own their own trucks, uh, you know, who work fundamentally, working for fundamentally as independent contractors. So, uh, there is an organizing base there. There is a skill level there. But, you know, the main thing is how do we move them from being subcontractors to being more prime, being able to, to control the kind of their own garages, their own space, and pulling resources together. So, if so you there, can get the there's a, a great deal of potential. If you can get the truckers to come together and they can both uh, get more business if they're larger and they can also perhaps demand more money because if it's – you only own one truck, and I've done some research in this. You only own one or two trucks. You're at the end of everybody. I mean, you just get flipped That's around. Right. That's and right. The primes, the subcontractors, the subcontractors of the subcontractors will give you some business, but they don't cut off all the margins on it. You you just right. That's right. don't make any money at it. So, yeah, that's a great opportunity there. So the second one is black banks. There are, there are two black banks in, in Jackson. Uh, and there are a number of uh, cooperative credit unions or credit unions, people would know them, uh, that exist in Jackson. And that is where we encourage, in those two areas where we encourage uh, the community to, to do most of their, their banking. Uh, Mississippi has some very interesting banking uh, laws. Uh, and, it, you know, we do not have a lot of the uh, major banks that many people throughout the country now have, uh, since a lot of banks like Wells Fargo, Bank of America, uh, they're not regional entities anymore, they're national entities. But uh, we we have some Wells Fargo operations in the state, but no Bank of America operations in the state, uh, mind you, and that, that is one of the largest kind of 
commercial banking enterprises uh, in the United States and at the world. So that tells you a lot around, uh, give you some indication of the kind of the odd nature and restrictive na- nature of banking in the state. But uh, Trustmark and, uh, is the largest bank, uh, the largest uh, uh, credit union, is whole uh, credit union. You know, so that is is kind of the lay of the land and the infrastructure here. What's the name? What's the name of the, the community? What's the name of the two black banks? Uh, the two black banks. Let me let me go in deep into my. Uh, That's okay. Uh, it's not what? rolling off the tongue, but uh, we we actually have uh, an account there. Uh, uh, we have to take our second break, and so while we're on the break, maybe you, your brain will kick in and tell you what they are, <laughs> and then the third part of of. Uh, Hassan's question was uh, co-ops, what co-ops you do have and what you're forming. You told us a little bit about what you're forming. But we'll be right back to uh, uh, get the answers to these questions. Please don't touch your dial. We'll be right back. Fourteen fifty WOL. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks with Everything Cooperative. You know, we're talking about Jackson, Mississippi. We have Kali Akunu on the phone on the phone with us from Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program. NCB's mission is to help cooperatives grow by supporting and being an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, placing special emphasis on serving the needs of communities that are economically challenged. And... Um, Kylie has already told us the median family income in in Jackson, Mississippi, is fairly low. But I just I I googled it while we were on the break, and when we come back, and I was just shocked here to see that uh, Jackson, Mississippi, median family income is twenty two thousand four hundred seventy three U S dollars, and Mississippi's twenty six thousand, which is still very low, and where the U S on average is thirty thousand eight hundred fifteen dollars. The median family income in Washington, D.C., metropolitan areas, like $98,000. So talking about Jackson, Mississippi, of 22000 I don't remember, maybe you know it, what what do they consider um, poor in poverty? I think it's it's, it's higher than $22,000, so I, I would think that the yeah, average Yeah, it's higher than $22,000. I think there's a breakdown of it. I think now it's 13 almost um you know which means that roughly the entire city uh, of jackson uh, looking at those figures uh fall below the poverty line and that is uh we can substantiate and validate that is uh a truth from uh, living experience and, and organizing uh in the community uh now of course you're looking at something you know that's that's uh, an average you know, so there is yeah. a range yep. uh, uh you know within that Somebody's making uh, zero and somebody's making a hundred thousand, right. but the majority of the people right. are at twenty two and and probably eighty percent are between twenty and twenty five or something. So yeah, it's it's that's poor. Right. That's that's the whole message here. But I want to go back to yeah. Hassan's questions. Um we got that there are two black banks and then he asked where you can find co ops. Yeah, so the the my memory did come back. So there's two different divisions of Liberty Bank, which is based out of New Orleans or where it started. So we have different divisions of that here uh, uh, in Mississippi, and we, we have accounts with them and with Hope, uh, which is a predominantly black uh, credit union. Um, uh, so that 
that is who we've strategically uh, put our what little resources and assets that we have uh, for strategic purposes, uh, Hassan and anyone who's listening. Um, you know, because part of this whole, uh, uh, I think, struggle for us, uh, the struggle for equity, uh, is about being very strategic uh, with what little resources we have and using those uh, in the most advantageous way uh, to, to do the development that we need uh, and uh, really accumulate as much uh, purchasing and economic power as we can amass uh, to transform the, the living situation of the people in our communities. So what, signs, what, what was the name right. of the credit union? Hope. 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 Yeah, okay. Hope I can, Credit I can union. remember that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Liberty and Hope, the, the, those are the two that, that uh, uh, we have a strategic partnership with. So we hope we're going to get some uh, Liberty. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so the, the, the answer to his question about cooperatives in Mississippi I would direct you to our immediate website, which is cooperationjackson.org, which has much more about our overall program. The cooperatives that we are developing are all uh, listed uh, there, and there's actually within the, by March 1st, there'll be a major kind of an upgrade and expansion of our website. So just be on the lookout for that and sign and everyone who's uh, listening. And you also want to go to uh, uh, the Mississippi Association of Cooperatives. Uh, the, the acronym is MAC, uh, which is uh, uh, the Mississippi uh, Division of the Southern, uh, uh, the Federation of Southern Cooperatives, uh, which we are uh, a part of. That has the broader listing of the different cooperatives that exist uh, throughout the state of Mississippi. Okay, MAC is a part of the Federation of Southern Co-ops. Correct. Okay. And that's Mississippi, what What did you call it, MAC? Mississippi Association of Cooperatives. Okay. Yeah. And most of those uh, cooperatives, just so folks know, Hassan knows, uh, you know, most of the vast majority of cooperatives uh, that are real cooperatives, and I'll, I'll, I'll come to why I say that in a minute, uh, they are agricultural entities uh, that exist in predominantly rural areas. Uh, uh, Cooperation Jackson. Uh, is is part of our whole thinking in history uh, uh, is to extend the model, extend the history, extend the practice into an urban area. So in this regard, we are somewhat unique in, in kind of the Southern uh, context because throughout most of the South, uh, most of the cooperatives that folks would know would either be credit unions or some type of agricultural uh, entity or a utility uh, company because most of the Electricity in states like Mississippi is actually provided by uh, entities that are cooperatives in name, but not necessarily cooperatives uh, in practice, the vast majority of them. That's definitely true here in the state of Mississippi, uh, where you have a number of cooperatives that were uh, built as a product of uh, the New Deal. Um, uh, some, A lot of them as extensions of the, uh, the, the Tennessee Valley uh, Authority development. Uh, but they have never, in some cases, never functioned really as democratic uh, organizations and entities. Uh, there's definitely been very little education over those, you know, seven or seven decades. Uh, so folks understand them. There's been uh, one major campaign that I'm aware of, which took place in the 80s and 90s, to democratize them, which ran into a, some very visceral and, and violent and confrontational uh, racism. And now, uh, in our present day, there actually is a new campaign uh, to try to get many of those cooperatives to uh, go green and become 
primarily u- utilizers of uh, solar thermal uh, uh, energy and wind power energy, but the, we're still meeting some uh, resistance there in the state of Mississippi and beyond, and that is something uh, ourselves and uh, Highlander and uh, the Federation and many others are, are in part working on uh, as well to kind of recapture uh, that space and to transform it to bring us into the 21st century. So I'm mentioning all of this so folks have information, but also just to be clear that when folks do some research and certain things have the name cooperative, you got to look a little bit deeper to see, you know, what is their actual democratic practice and governance uh, to see if they're really functioning uh, a cooperative. Uh, in line with the principles of the cooperatives. Well, cooperationjackson.org is uh, where you can go online, and I've got it up right now. And I would encourage you, uh, Kylie, to change that to cooperationjackson.coop. And the first button on the left, and after the heading you see is Education, Motivate, and Organize. And then at the left, at the bottom left, it says Donate Now. So I would encourage you to go on and donate to Cooperation Jackson so the folks down there can uh, do all of the things. He's, he just In the first minute, he told us about seven or eight things that they have on their plate to do. Uh, so if you could donate. And you also said what little resources you have. Do you have a, a goal of raising some funds, and how much are you trying to raise, and how can we help you? Well, we have several goals. Uh, right now, uh, just to bring people up there practically, um, uh, we are in the midst of a capital uh, drive for two co-ops, uh, Freedom Farms Cooperative uh, and uh, Nubia's Place Cafe and Catering Cooperative. What's that and first word you said? What, what, what was that Nubia's. first word? Nubia. Nubia's Place. Okay. And it's, uh, it's named in honor of uh, Nubia Lumumba, who was uh, the partner and wife of uh, our former mayor, Chokwe Lumumba, who our, Lum- our Lumumba Center is named after both of them, uh, Chokwe and Nubia Lumumba. Um, so that we're honoring her with the naming of that particular cafe. And the cafe right now is in the capital drive to raise $50,000. Uh, to be able to buy some some uh, new equipment, and particularly looking to buy a food truck, so that we can do uh, uh, some service in the community that way and throughout the region that way for kind of special events and concerts. Uh, so that cooperative group is looking uh, to raise that much money, and then the the Freedom Farms, uh, which is in a different uh, space, they're actually looking to expand uh, and and uh, acquire some property adjacent to some properties that we already have to be able to kind of over uh, uh, expand overall production. Uh, and we're looking to raise uh, for that one uh, close to $100,000 uh, to be able to purchase land and to, to do the build-out necessary uh, to do uh, uh, several hoop houses and, and a greenhouse. Uh, and then overall, we're going to be launching a, a major push uh, within the next probably two months uh, to raise uh, uh, for a land fund uh, for the CLT, uh, there's a new opportunity which is being opened up by the city uh, council, which is both uh, poses some some potentialities for us, but overall threat of uh, gentrification and, and, and displacement that we're trying to combat in the community uh, overall that we're trying to deal with. And so one of the things we're going to be calling on uh, all of our supporters and uh, everyone who believes in, in the value of both black land ownership and cooperative uh, economics to support us with 
uh, and that is uh, 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 going to be a major call to push to participate in its uh, blighted land, acquiring blighted land and, and property legislation, which is going to open up a short window is going to open up in Jackson, probably about a two month time. So we're getting ready for that. And then we're asking for another $100,000 to do that. And this is uh, a case so folks understand uh, kind of how important it is that with those resources, uh, not only will we likely be able to acquire about 50 uh, lots uh, within uh, a section of West Jackson, uh, but that will be enough uh, to, to com convert them within a, a six-month period uh, to productive use as farming uh, uh, plots. So. These are some things that we're looking for, um, and hopefully, you know, uh, folks in, in, in the audience uh, understand, uh, someone in the audience, or many people in the audience will understand the value of what we're trying to do and uh, can support in any way you can. Uh, we, we have and are continuing to, to develop a very uh, robust kind of sustainer uh, program. Uh, we're already at a level uh, now where uh, we're receiving about $3,000 uh, per month just from sustainer contributions, uh, which uh, are a lifeline uh, for us. Uh, and it, it goes to show, you know, what uh, 5 and 10 and $20 contributions can add up to uh, when people put their minds to it and work co cooperatively together. Listen, I'm online right now, and uh, I, I hit that Donate Now button, and uh, I am almost filled it out while you were talking. I was listening uh wasn't I paying 100 percent attention i hope you forgive me because i'm feeling out no, that okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay and i want to i'm gonna donate a thousand dollars right now um appreciate that. i love what you're doing brother i love i we did meet this summer in cincinnati and we we're going to talk about the unions here in a minute but i love your i love your energy level and what all you're doing i looked at a couple videos of you last night and your trip to paris and and uh your breadth of knowledge. So I used to not tell people when I would give money, but some preacher told me you, you tell folks when you give money because that'll give you a chance to tell you how good God is. So mm -hmm. God mm -hmm. has blessed me tremendously uh, more than, uh, and I grew up in a little city in West Virginia called Bluefield, West Virginia. My grandfather worked on the, in the mines and my father worked on a railroad, totally blue collar. But in the sixties, there was money to go to college and there was money, and I went to got two master's degrees. And so I've, I've been much more blessed than I ever could have imagined. So it's like, how can I help? And I'm, my money is going to cooperators, and that's what you're doing. we got to take our next break, though, and then we'll come back and talk more about this. And you can go online at cooperationjackson.org, and you can donate and see what all the brothers and sisters down there are doing. But we'll, we'll be right back. Please don't touch it down. And we only have one more segment to go. The hour goes by real quick. 1450 W.O.L. That's right. Information is power, and we're getting a lot of information about Jackson, Mississippi. And I just want to go back to this co-op piece a minute. Uh, why did you decide to go co-op? Why did you decide to create all of these different co-ops that you talked about? The community Land Trust, 20 Lots, Eco Village, Urban Farms, Grocery Store, other co-ops. Uh, why? Why co-op? Good question. I mean, uh, for me personally, I grew up in and around kind of cooperative enterprises as a child, and I didn't even quite understand that that is what I was experiencing 
until I got somewhat older, you know, but I'm a product of how successful they can be and how they help uh, folks who uh, are poor. And I grew up fairly poor, um, you know, but it, they helped us survive. You know, my mother participating uh, in a cooperative uh, venture with many uh, other black women in Los Angeles and getting food uh, uh, every Saturday uh, from that. Uh, where we didn't have much money, uh, you know, was a lifesaver. Uh, living in cooperative housing uh, as a child uh, on different occasions to keep the uh, expenses down and, and uh, being able to live in decent, affordable housing, you know, uh, really helps. Uh, and, and those are things which I think, uh, you know, help my mother uh, to have uh, the time and energy to put into her children so that uh, all of us could go to college uh, uh, and, and uh, you know, develop ourselves. So it was when I got to college myself and experienced living in a co-op in college, I didn't live in a dorm, I lived in a co-op, and I did that uh, intentionally because I remember that and what it entailed as a, as a you know, as a child, a little bit uh, younger. That left a deep impression upon me around how uh, we need to democratize our economy in order to serve the greatest and broadest need. And that just doing uh, a business in the manner of, uh, of, of pursuing uh, profit at the expense of other, of, of, of other humans and uh, of the environment was, of course, toward destruction. So I've always been geared and, and oriented in, in different phases of my life of, of uh, uh, engaged in a number of uh, cooperative practices. But uh, it really wasn't until uh, a group of us uh, really started to look at how could we try to improve uh, the quality of life uh, in Jackson uh, as a major uh, a commitment and project uh, some 15 years ago uh, that we started to really dig in and try to understand, well, well how does the, the economy in this, this uh, municipality in this city, how does it function? How does it work? You know, where are the opportunities that we can kind of intervene in, you know, things that require a great deal of capital, things that require a little capital? You know, where there's the, the human capacity and skill that already exists. And this is a process you keep exploring. I mean, now that we're into it, certain things have surfaced of that was somewhat off or somewhat wrong. Uh, new opportunities have, have opened up. So we're, we're constantly learning, and that's part of the process. Uh, but for me, uh, it really comes down to transforming the lives of people, you know, uh, particularly poor, uh, impoverished, oppressed, excluded, marginalized. Uh, people and what is the best means to to do that uh, uh, in our society, which is uh, democratic, which gives people real power and over not only in the voting booth, but you know where I think it matters in people's day to day lives. Uh, 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 that is something that I wanted to make a contribution towards, and you know, Kyle, putting as much time and energy as I can into it. Kyle, you just explained that better than I could ever explain it. I have gotten into co-ops. Uh, not at school. You you were fortunate. What school, by the way, did you go? I went to UC Davis. So UC Davis have uh, student housing co-ops. And just for anybody else, anybody else out there, that's the organization's North American Students of Cooperation, NASCO. And you can go on their webpage at nasco.coop or just Google, um, as I did, uh, student housing co-ops. And it will come up and you can find out which schools have housing co-ops. And I've had people on this program Kylie, that said that they learn more in their co-op about 
getting alone and managing and leadership than they did in their in their classroom studies. So that's mm-hmm. one, that's one right. thing. But, but I didn't get this until I started managing housing co-ops. I, I, what I do for a living every day is uh, property management. So in managing housing co-ops, I found out about co-ops. And the, the, the seven principles is why I like them, and you said them in different kinds of ways. But volunteer and open membership doesn't care about your gender, your social, your racial, your political, or how much money you have or don't have. Democratic member control, one member, one vote. Member economic participation, some co-ops, most co-ops, you put a little bit in to join. And if there's a profit or surplus, you get something back. And that's where you can build wealth. Autonomy and independence. You have to be able to have control over, democratically control over the, the enterprise. The, number five is education, training, and information. And when I found out about that and how much people learn in co op particularly adults, adults really grab this and they learn it because they use it every day. Cooperation among cooperatives, cooperators working together to help each co-op and then concern for a community. Uh, so those are the reasons that I like co-ops, and you explained it, but I went to the principles. You've mentioned voting booth. You've mentioned politics. You've mentioned the politics in Mississippi, and I also want to talk about the politics in this Democratic, uh, not Democratic, yeah, Democratic presidential election. Mm-hmm. So how important is this voting and this democratic control thing? It's, I would say it's central. I would say it's, it's, it's the lifeblood. And sometimes it's not always voting. You know, sometimes it's, it's struggling and striving for consensus of your membership, which is a little different process. And it's something that we try to employ, which, which takes more time, which takes uh, uh, more effort. Uh, but within our experience, it builds more of a, of a deeper understanding of where we're all coming from, what are our interests, what are our you know, material interests, what are our uh, psychological and social interests and fears and concerns, taking all those things into account so that at the end of the day, we can truly be on the same page and be most effective. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, people having a voice, people having a vote, being able to determine the course of you know, how their time energy, labor, resources are utilized, I think it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's invaluable. And you, you see, uh, in our experience, first people are, you know, people are not used to democracy. That's one thing. Uh, we really are not used to democracy. So oftentimes when folks come into some of our, you know, practices, and it's a struggle because the struggle for democracy is constant, you know, people are uncomfortable because it's normally what, you, you know, just... Uh, you, you normally, most of us have an experience, or there's someone, you know, a, a boss top, or a manager of some kind, yep. you know, who just tells you what to do, and you kind of either like it or not like it, but find some way to to, to do it if you want to keep your job, etc. So there's something, there's always that kind of push and pull. But once people get a hold of it, they don't want to let it go. That's our experience. So there's a hierarchical, a real taste of it. We're really a yeah. hierarchical society that there's a there's like a pyramid, or somebody at the top telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. In your home, in your church, in your business, and that's the society that's right. we live in. And when you start talking about democracy of one member, one vote, and everybody has a say, uh, trying to get people to say something, I'm I'm changing my company and the process with my employees to a worker-owned cooperative, and we're struggling with that right it. now. Yeah. We're struggling with mm-hmm. it. We we, and so we keep having training. Uh, we had one yesterday, no, all day Tuesday. We had a training. Uh, dealing with this, getting people to, to the point where they're comfortable with saying what they need to say, 
because too often we're, people are not used to saying what's on their mind because they're afraid of getting That's fired right. or, you know, some consequence. Uh, right. So getting people used to that and then getting other people li- used to listening. <laughs> okay. That's the, that's another hard part. That's the other end. You're right. okay. So, and that's me too. All right. Not, yeah. Okay. So you're saying that the, the Democratic piece is voting. Now, I think consensus is still a vote. Somebody has to say I'm in or I'm not in. Consensus is where pretty much everybody agrees with right. what, the, the, right. the approach that we're going to take. Because we, ha- we had a training on that. We've been an autocratic business where I made the final decision or if I decided that they could make the decision. But the mm-hmm. trainer pointed out that's still autocratic because I'm the one that has to decide, yeah, you can, you all can make that decision as opposed to right. it being a co-op where it's in the documents who makes what and, and the people, the employees make the decision of what's in the documents. How are we going to do this thing? How are we going to make decisions and who's going to make decisions? So yeah, it's, it is phenomenal and it is great. Uh, talk a minute about, I've, I've come to the conclusion that the votes in Mississippi or in Jackson, who's on the city council, who's the mayor, who's the, uh, who's the governor are more important than the president, but the presidential elections are also very important. And people come out for the presidential, but not for the local. And we only have a minute to go, buddy. So what do you think about that? <laughs> no, these, these elections, are very critical. You know, there's a there's a right drift which is is, is taking place, and the, the the rhetoric that we've seen we haven't seen since uh, I would say really since the 1930s, which is should be concerning to all of us. Uh, so however you vote, whether it's it's you know uh, me being partisan, whether you vote for Bernie or you go green and vote for Jill, be very strategic about it. Folks need to turn up, I think, for for this one, and see that as a as a key site of struggle. But I think folks have to get even more so prepared for what happens on November 3rd and beyond. And, and that's where I think co-ops and us building co-ops as, as a broad movement uh, is strategic and important. So I encourage everybody to engage in both those those aspects. Uh, well, I'm for Bernie, too. I like his rhetoric, but I've also tell everybody he can only win if we support him and he can only get done what he says he's going to do if we're behind him every day. I mean, That's getting right. out and right. and marching and saying, here's what we got to do. We got to change this stuff. We got to get money for education. We got to get all, all of these different things, health care. So housing. Thank you, buddy. It's over. I'd love to talk to you another right. hour. We'll do it again one day, but I really appreciate everything that you had to say. And I also love it when I'm learning and I was learning for everybody else. We're going to have Jessica Gordon Emhart on next week, who wrote the book Collective Carriage. Thank you, and y'all have a good week. 1450 WOL.